We're here with the Australian who nearly got eaten by a shark. We're going to try to find out what the hell happened here. It was a big day at work. <laughs> I took the next day off. You tried to just, yeah. you tried to fight a shark is what happened. Well, he tried he to fight me. Oh. Like, I was not the instigator. So what is he, what is he missing? <laughs> I hope he choked to death on my hamstring. Yeah. According to uh, Charles Glass, but then again, what does he know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, old dummy Charles. How, how old are you? 41. Oh, okay. We're the same age. Oh, really? December 10th. How about you? March 23rd. Oh, would you look at that? So I was just using the bathroom, and I don't know if this happens to you, but this has been happening to me more and uh -oh. more. We're getting close. We are. We're becoming friends. We're talking about I bathroom. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I pee. I do my business, and I go to put it back, and I still end up pissing myself. I thought I was done, and I, you know, I'm like, I know okay, what you but mean. The business is over with. I peed. And then I just totally walk away from the toilet and I piss myself. Really? Just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Just yeah, a little bit comes yeah, out. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> Occasionally, you know, you, little, you know, shake yeah. it enough times and especially after sex. Oh, yeah, It's yeah. just like, I don't know what's going on with muscles are too know. tight, can't get it all out. But generally, for some reason, I just forget to do my well, fly up. You can't. <laughs> I, just, can't I don't know why. Like, and if I, I'm getting older and it's just like mm. common sense has gone out the window, I forget to do my fly up a lot. Yeah, and af what? after sex you can't aim. Yeah, no. Like you, no. like you might as well just face the wall. You just lay flat on the toilet with your doodle down. <laughs> yeah, you just pee like. Oh that. yeah, if you have a boner, you have to do a yeah. handstand. Yeah, or in the shower. That gets to be really <laughs> against the wall. Then you got to take it off, and <laughs> that gets to be really difficult. But yeah, I got to figure this out because I got to stop. I got to stop pissing myself. This podcast out. interview just went in a direction I did not expect. It's going straight up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're we're going we're we're starting out on the top. That's the way that's the way we do it. Anyway, uh, how long have you been training over at Gold's Gym for? Gold's Gym, oh, has man. the mecca of bodybuilding. I've been coming out to California and America in general for a couple of years, pr probably since about 2015 when I started doing Shark Week. Um, but it was just intermittently whenever they, they paid me to come out uh, or had a show for me or something. Um, and I started going to Gold straight away just because it's the mecca of bodybuilding. You Did know? you kind of hear about it? Did you hear about it through some friends and stuff like that? Or yeah. you, were you already into like lifting and stuff? And I, I was somewhat into lifting. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously, you know, he's trained there and he started um, his huge bodybuilding career out of Golds, yeah. uh, as well as a lot of other people. So you hear all the stories and it's just, you know, it, it's a name that's associated with the weightlifting and fitness and, and California in general, I think. So yeah. as soon as I came out, I'm like, well, I got to train. Where am I going to train? I'm going straight to Golds. And it's the thing I love about it is it's not what people think it is. It's not this spot where it's just full of juiced up power lifters and bodybuilders. It's every walk of life. You get, That's juiced up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you get that, yeah, but right, you also right. get the the older people. You yeah. get the younger people. You get the unfit people. You get the fit people. You get the tourists. You get, every walk of life goes there for differing reasons. There's, there's a just lot a, of energy in there. Yeah. There's it's a, lot a very of, inspiring and motivating place to train. There's a lot of positive energy in there. When I was in there a couple of days ago, got the opportunity to train with Mike O'Hearn. That's always a lot of fun. Yep. That 4 a.m. crew. And Robbie Robinson was in there. Robbie Robinson is 67 years old. Oh, wow. He's a, a, still a professional bodybuilder. Oh, 72 years old. He still competes. And uh, he's still shredded, still in really good shape. But uh, when I was training with Mike, 
Robbie Robinson came over and was hyped up because we were banging out heavy incline presses mm -hmm. and he's over there in the corner doing his thing. And it's like, you see the 72 year old guy there that alone hypes you up. And you're like, man, I hope I'm still moving. Well, I hope uh -huh. I can still do a lot of this stuff when I'm older. And then he's getting hyped up by seeing us pushing those big weights around. So it gives everybody a lot of momentum. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I, that's what I end up uh, loving about it. How'd you end up uh, getting into like entertainment and getting it? Is that something that you wanted to do uh, as a kid growing up? How'd you I get guess, on TV? I guess I always had a sense of adventure, which is why I got into so much trouble when I was younger because mm. it was misdirected energy. What kind of trouble? Dude, I was, so my dad was a cop, um, but he was away a lot for work. And I was also brought up in an all boys Catholic school going to church. So, mm. you know, they're the, the, the holy trinity of troublemaking kids <laughs> your dad's a cop and you're at catholic school so we didn't have a lot of money so i found ways to get the things that i needed and wanted to keep up with all the other kids i just stole them um and i got picked on as a young kid because i was skinny and, and mm. short and had freckles and big ears so um that kind of makes you a little disgruntled at the world right. and so uh, you know i used to slash up my arms because Discipline at home was so bad. Discipline at school was so bad. And it felt like the only control I had over my life was inflicting this pain on my body. And I didn't want to kill myself or anything like that. It was just, there was this sense of control. You'd hurt yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I would cut my arms with, with a, a knife or something? With a, a hobby knife that you use yeah. for, for cutting up models, um, like model planes and right. things like that. But I did that for a little while and no one knew about it. Um, but the thing that helped me get past that was doing uh, Muay Thai boxing. Um, I started going and doing kickboxing with with one of my friends, one of my only friends. So it wasn't a prescription drug. It was uh, exercise. It was exercise, exactly. That yeah. was your RX. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of you know, um, thought about teenage depression when I was a right. teenager, when we were teenagers, we were about the same age. Uh, you know, that wasn't a thing. There was no ADD. There was no, none of yeah. that shit. There was no riddle. It was, hey, get over it. Yeah, it yeah, was like, shake it go up. outside and play. Why are you, you know, depressed? Stop being a little bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so, but I had to find all this out myself. I didn't have, my, like, my dad was a swimming instructor. Uh, so we grew up swimming and swimming was a big part of our lives and running and all that stuff. So I found it very hard to put any weight on because I was an endurance athlete. And so that just, kept me skinny and kept me getting um, picked on. But I hit about 14, 15 and swimming and running didn't seem to be that cool or that mm. fun anymore. I just got sick of it and I discovered girls <laughs> and smoking and drinking. And where I grew up in Australia, um, marijuana was decriminalized. There was a lot of weed floating around. So I started doing that as well. And obviously that, that's, they're just ingredients for unmotivation, for an <laughs> unhealthy lifestyle. Um, but I was doing kickboxing at the same time. So me and my, my friends would go out and we were learning to fight. So we'd take it to the streets and I, I got my ass handed to me more times than I won any fights, but that was what we do. We go out, we underage drink, drinking boxes right. of wine in the back alleys and then we'd go out and pick fights and it was just such a bad cycle and I continued down that path for a really long time um, until I got kicked out of home at 17 and ended up living with a, a couple of friends that took me in. And very slowly found my way. Mm. Uh, I was selling weed, but I was also uh, working as a kitchen hand, washing dishes. So I started to learn about making money um, legitimately instead of yeah. being stressed out Earning with people it, turning yeah. up to your door at 12 o'clock looking for a bag of weed. Um, and I was very lucky 
that I didn't get caught doing anything terrible. We were breaking into cars and stealing and fighting and drinking and doing drugs. So I was very fortunate that you know I got I got put in a jail cell once mm. for smashing a, a window at one point. But that was about the extent of me getting busted for trouble. And it could have gone a very different way. But I was fortunate. And then one night I got jumped by 20 guys. Um, just before my 21st birthday, uh, I was working behind a bar at a few clubs. I was still selling weed. And I got jumped and just got my ass kicked really badly. And that night was kind of a turning point where I realized that I had to get the fuck out of this city. Um, I was living in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. Not a lot going on in Canberra at but that time. Before that incident happened, were you maybe looking for some change at that point? Were you kind of already thinking about it a little bit or not really? Dude, I was always looking for change. I hated my lifestyle. Yeah. But I just didn't know so how it, to do it. it, it um, did it go against the grain too much of maybe the way you were brought up and uh, the Catholic lifestyle and... Uh, your parents were you kind of like migrating back toward like almost like in your head like this is wrong did you kind of always think that did you were you always worried about that you wanted to get into a different lifestyle perhaps I think as you get older the lessons that your parents instill in you become more prevalent that's why they said that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um but when you're young you're just like ah. I don't want to listen to that. You know, I'm, I'm, I know everything. I'm, I'm fucking 19. I know the world. Um, but I, I, as, as much as I didn't do well at school through my teenage years, I still was very well read. Um, and, you know, we had the, the full selection of the Encyclopedia Britannica. My dad always bought me books when he came home from his travels with the police. So I knew about the world and David Attenborough was my idol and all of these guys having adventures like Steve Irwin. That was what I wanted to do. But I didn't know how to get to that point from little old Canberra where I'm selling weed. It seemed like an impossible dream. But after getting my ass kicked, I I knew something had to change because um, it was just a downward spiral from there. It was just drugs and fighting and drinking and stuck in in a circular life of that shit. And I hated it. I wanted so much more, but I didn't know how to achieve that. So... I realized that the first step was to remove myself from this environment that I'd become a product of. Mm. So I threw everything I owned into a, a tiny little car that I had no license for and I left Canberra, moved to Brisbane and try and start again. And it worked somewhat for a while. I was working behind the bar of a strip club and <laughs> I was a rapper, as you do, as a white Australian. In- That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So a little side note that we didn't know. It was kind of cool. We put out a CD. Uh, we opened up for Snoop Dogg in 1998. Um, That's great. I, I'd quit the strip club because I thought I, you know, I'd found my future career right. as a, a rapper. But not a lot of money in white rappers in <laughs> Brisbane in 1998. So the financial struggles there came into play, and everything collapsed. And I was living in a house with one of my best friends with no electricity, no running water. Um, we had to shower at the local pool just to get clean to go out and try and find work. You know, putting $2 into the car for fuel. And eventually I found another job working behind a bar and that was just so unfulfilling. <laughs> right. You know, it was just, what am I going to do? Am I going to do That lifestyle this? feeds into that. It feeds into more of that because yeah. of the the nightlife. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad has always said, and other people have said this over the years, nothing good happens past 11 p.m. Yeah, yeah I've heard you that know? many times. And, and as kids, me and my brothers were like, 
I think everything good happens after 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, isn't that when you get laid and stuff? Uh-huh. Like, isn't that when all the fun stuff happens? Yep. Um, but yeah, it can cause a lot of trouble. And then just in general, uh, you're not as productive because the next day, you know, what, what time is your day starting mm-hmm. at 12 or two or something? Right. And then it's just, it's a very repetitive lifestyle. What was something that helped you transition out of that lifestyle? Was, was there a single thing? Cause you know, you got, uh, jumped, um, but I know that the next day it didn't look like a Rocky montage of you like training and like being like, I'm going to be a badass and I'm going to totally change my life. Right. And, and you went to God and I ran away. <laughs> so yeah. So what happened? Yeah. Um, man, honestly, probably calling mom, just asking for advice. Like yeah. my last vestige of hope, right. <laughs> call mom and ask for some advice and that's awesome i think yeah yeah well you know there's always someone there for you right it it might not come in the most expected of places and sometimes it is sometimes it's just calling home and i'd somewhat rekindled my my relationship with my family at that point um not so much with dad but (laughs) with mum. you know he's like you're still a punk bitch i'm not talking to you (laughs) um so i called mum, just saying hey look i don't know what to do you know i i've left home i've started again i've tried to rebuild and i'm even i'm in a worse spot now than i was it takes a lot of strength yeah sometimes it's you know the last hope right i didn't know where to go from there because i still had this dream of of my life being something special Mm. but i didn't know how i was looking down the barrel of following the career path of my bar manager uh, sitting at the bar smoking a cigarette all skinny and pale and going home to his house in the suburbs and I was just like is that what I want that's what's that's my future right fuck no that's not my future that is not what I want so I called mum and she said why don't you talk to your brothers because my brothers were in the army and I just thought ooh that could be my way out and so I called them and they're like they just laughed at me like there is no way you are going to make it in the army they didn't think you're going to be able to change no way they just thought the military lifestyle is, is definitely not something for you but if you do decide to do it it's pretty good lifestyle you get paid to travel to play sports to shoot cannons and all that stuff they were in artillery they said just don't join infantry because you're not going to make it mm. so i joined infantry <laughs> <laughs> you took that challenge you're yeah, like man. okay yeah well it's kind of like when you think of the army you think of soldiers you don't think of the logistics officer as as much as an admirable job as that is. Right. I wanted to be a soldier. And so um, that was a really hard transition. Yeah, there's got to be literally millions of tasks to mm. do in, in any form of military, yeah. right? Yeah. Not just uh, being a maniac running around with a gun, which is what <laughs> exactly. you're picturing. You're like, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, which is something I probably should have done, like <laughs> found a trade or where I, where I learned to be useful right. in the world. Instead, I just thought, yeah, I'll just go and learn to shoot a machine gun and fire rocket launchers. <laughs> uh, and it was a lot of fun, but you know, that was hard. That was a hard transition too. Um, but the thing I did have in my corner was I didn't have a, another choice. Mm. By that point, it was... I didn't have a great education to fall back on. I had no other skills except being a bartender and, and being a shitty rapper. Um, Do you think you had some good discipline going into that? Like, uh, were you typically a person that would show up to work on time? Were you were you dependable and reliable in some ways that you yeah. had like at least you at least had something going in to where it wasn't 
you know, such a shock that you had to do this mm. at this time. And that Look, at that thing. point, I was, I was very honest. I was very loyal. Mm. You know, there was no way that I would steal from my employer or be late or, or um, not earn their trust. Yeah, there's got to be some qualities there. Otherwise, yeah. you, will, you will not make it, right? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and over time of going through basic training and not having that alcohol and not having time to smoke those cigarettes or smoking that weed, my fitness came back from all those years of swimming and running. Mm. And so I went from being mediocre in the fitness um, area of being a soldier to excelling. And then I felt that sense of pride, not just in my the uniform that I'd started to wear, but in my fitness and the fact that I could inspire the rest of the people that I'm training with and working with to do better as well. I think sometimes the things that you don't do and the things that you, uh, the things that you, um, things that you don't do can be detrimental sometimes. So something like swimming or something like running that you had from when you were a kid, you didn't really probably realize all the different things it was doing for your brain. Mm -hmm. You know, it was doing stuff for you physically. It was also doing stuff for you mentally. And when you got back to it, it sounds like it kind of opened up more opportunities for you. Well, when I stopped it, I just went down the gurgler. But (laughs) as soon as I started doing that fitness again, and that's, that's why it plays such a prevalent part in my life. And, uh, all of the the good things that I do in my life are based around health and fitness, and um, they really have turned my life into something pretty amazing. So, when the army, I, you know, I spent five years as an army paratrooper, and I got to uh, jumping out of planes, jumping out of planes with a big machine gun. You're a crazy um, bastard! I would when, never jump out. <laughs> would you still do that now? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a spot <coughs> down in San Diego that does accelerated freefall, so mm. I want to go and get my civilian ticket. Damn. Um, I just got to work out how to do that, missing a hand and a leg. Man, I'm but. such a pussy. I don't think I could do that. I think maybe <laughs> when I was younger, I, somebody could have maybe. You've got kids though, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, see, it become, I think it becomes a little different. I can barely different. fly now, yeah. yeah. When I have kids, you know, when you have kids, it's like. <clears throat> it's yeah, not, it's I not being afraid of death. You just you don't want to leave them alone. You don't want to yeah. die unnecessarily. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't have to worry about that. You know, I've, I've got my dog and I care about him, but. This guy's got a huge head. Yeah, he does. Big head, big paws. <laughs> <laughs> the big boy but, uh, so what was yeah. the transition from there how long were you in the military for I did five years with the army did some really cool stuff sniper's course worked as a United Nations peacekeeper in, in Southeast Asia uh, and then you know the army taught me a lot about myself being a yeah. sniper sounds cool yeah I didn't get to work as a sniper's but doing the course was pretty amazing yeah. learning to really shoot um, but the army taught me how to push past my own um Limit limitations, yeah. And so I thought, you know, I missed out on a trip to Iraq. They they cancelled my trip four days before I left, and I just got the shits with the army. I was like, fuck this, I'm going somewhere that gets deployed. Yeah. So, uh, just for a second, do you do you think that there's any other way to get your brain in the same place that you could get through fitness and through being pushed above and beyond? what you think you're capable of in other words do you think uh like you could read a book or see a movie or uh do drugs or do you think there's anything in the world that compares to you don't have anything left and you're being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and there you are doing more and more and more because the guy next to you is doing more and more is there anything like that is there anything remotely close to that i think it helps if you if it's a multifaceted approach. So if you can harness a lot of those things all, all at once, or um, you know, for me it was the fact that I didn't have an option. 
Like, you have to do this <laughs> yeah. or, or we will just punish you. Yeah, you know? what are you going like, back to? Yeah, Nothing, yeah well, right? that was the thing. I didn't have anything to go back to. So um, instead of fighting against the discipline and trying to change my circumstances like I normally would in life, I tried to change the way that I perceived the situation, mm. the, the way that I approached the situation. I didn't like a lot of stuff about being in the army. So I focused on the things that I did enjoy, like shooting a machine gun and firing rocket launchers and throwing grenades and hanging out with my mates and the fitness side of it. Um, and I just tried to, I just got through the other stuff, like because you find out that you're not always going to enjoy everything in life. So healthy competition is an amazing motivator. Even now, people uh, always ask me how I stay motivated and positive and all that stuff. And I use things as simple as YouTube clips or clips on Instagram and social media. Just, you know, I follow people that motivate me and inspire right. me. Uh, going to Golds and seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger at the machine next to me and he you says hello. You had a hello. chance to meet him. Yeah, many times. Oh, yeah. awesome. He, he waves at me most times when I see him and that's a huge motivator. This is the Terminator, you know. When, yeah. when I was in hospital and I still had my leg after the shark attack and the surgeon came in and he gave me the option as to whether I was going to keep it or whether I was going to have it taken off. And I just looked at him, drugged to the eyeballs and said, Doc, just take my leg and turn me into the Terminator. <laughs> and so that guy had such a, a inspiring place in my life growing up as the predator and the commando and all that sort of stuff. You know, to see him. It was the arm that was left behind in the first <laughs> exactly. Terminator, right? That, you know, that kept... Now I have one. Yeah, that's, that's Probably crazy. not quite as good. How in the hell did all this happen? That's what we got to get to now. Yeah. Um, so I changed from the Army to the Navy. Uh, I heard about these guys called the clearance divers. Uh, you know, no one really looked directly at them. They were kind mm -hmm. of a very special group within the side of the military. And the Army, having taught me how to push past my limitations, made me believe in myself a lot more than I had previously. So I thought, well, what's stopping me from being a badass like these guys? And what's stopping me from being someone that other people look up to? Right. And I just thought, nothing. I'm, I'm just going to give it a go. Just your own yeah. mind, right? I, I made it into the army. You know, if this is the next step, then let's give it a crack. And I went into training and selection processes. Um, uh, really, really freaking hard stuff. Like 10 days of mental, physical, and emotional anguish. Swimming through Sydney Harbour in the middle of the night for six hours, followed by a half marathon. Pitch black. Pitch black, shark. We know there's bull sharks all through there. <laughs> we really know that they're there now. Um <laughs> five hours of PT on the soft sand at the beach and, and mind games and breath hold and just all that shit. So 70% of my course quit on the first day. Uh, and But I had this motivation whereby I am not going back to the army. They'll either gonna, they're going to have to fail me because I'm too dumb or they're going to have to kill me. <laughs> and so I went into it with that mindset, giving it all, and I passed. And I discovered this amazing lifestyle amazing job amazing friends where we were traveling the world shooting guns blowing up mines doing pure oxygen oxygen rebreather combat swimming and using almost any handheld tool you can think of but underwater a picture or maybe a video david goggins i'm sure you've heard of him mm -hmm. before his hands are like tied behind his back and his yeah. like feet are tied and he like jumps yeah. in the water i was like oh my drown proofing God. himself i'm uh I'm kind of claustrophobic and like things like that are just an absolute nightmare for me. So mm -hmm. I, I was watching that. I was like, oh my God, that's a pretty, pretty crazy uh, yeah. thing to get used to. And that's why so many people fail. 
Yeah. Because they just don't have that self-belief or that self-confidence or just that determination to either pass or die. And sometimes you have to go into things like that. Um, so I made it. The key to some of that stuff, just not to overreact. Yeah, yeah. Well, it helps if you're comfortable in the water like I was mm. because I grew up swimming. And yeah. why I, I'd never spent a huge amount of time um, in the ocean, I felt comfortable knowing I could hold my breath, knowing I could swim to the surface and all that sort of stuff because I'd never scuba dived in my life. So I was learning from the ground up. But just, yeah, Sometimes you've just got to not care if you die. <laughs> and it's funny because later I found out that death is just not, nothing to be afraid of at all. And that frees you up, frees you to believe in yourself a lot more. You think you ever got close to it? To dying? Yeah. Dude, I was within a minute of dying. Yeah. Um, so when I was working as a, a Navy clearance diver, uh, 2009, I've been doing, doing it for um, four years. And we were doing a counter-terrorism exercise in Sydney Harbour alongside the Navy base, which is a place where we worked all the time, hundreds and hundreds of hours in the water there. And I was on the surface that day, swimming on my back, pretending to be an attack swimmer. And they had this equipment that was tracking me with video and sonar. And I was in the water for about four minutes. I just pulled out one of the new guys and I was on the surface on my back and a bull shark attacked me. Mm. It grabbed me by the right hand and the back of my right leg in the same bite and decided that it wanted them more than I did. And so before I'd even had breakfast, I was breakfast. Wow. Yeah, it was a crazy day. I, I nearly died. I, I didn't so much fight it off as swam away while it was swallowing my limbs. And the boys in the boat got to me before the shark came back. Do you, do you remember the, the, what, what happened exactly or is it like kind of been told back to you type thing? A bit of both. Yeah. Some of the things. because so I didn't like your mind just, you know, pass out, out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the fact that I travel and I speak and I do, I do a lot of motivational and inspirational speaking for corporations and things like that. And the fact that I've had the opportunity to retell this story over and over and over again and, and even write a book about the story, that helped me remember it. And while what's the name of the book? No time for fear. Um, it helped me to remember it and process it a lot more. Uh, I only passed out for less than a minute during the whole sequence, and it's kind of you know I never did counselling at all uh, because I I just didn't feel like I needed it. I knew how I felt. I felt like shit. I didn't need to talk about it. What I needed to do was find that sense of value and purpose that I'd had previously because I was looking down the barrel of losing my whole career. So instead of talking to some person I didn't know about how I was feeling, I decided how I was going to feel and I worked towards um, goals and, and giving myself challenges mm. um, to try and achieve this impossible mm. dream of going back to work. So I cut my leg one time, right? And I have a little uh, scar right there. <laughs> it's about an inch or maybe, uh, yeah, it's about an inch. I was uh, throwing out some trash. I worked at a bar, and there was a, a bottle of vodka in there that was broken, and I went to twist the bag and uh, to tie it up to throw the trash out, and it went, and it just sliced just sliced me, and blood went, you know, right all over the side of the bag. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, it's disgusting, right? <laughs> and so my brother uh, took me to the... Uh, 
emergency room and it, it was just a couple stitches. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge deal, but as they clean it up and stuff, I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, Oh my God, that's, and I, I'm not really queasy, mm. you know? So I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's kind of gross. I'm like, what is that yellow stuff? And they're like, that's your fat. I'm like, Oh my God, even my knees are fat. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, man, I kind of like mutilated my leg, right? This is a, at the time was probably like a three or four inch cut because it's the scars gotten smaller or whatever, right? Um, what was it like, you know, looking at your hand or your arm and it's fucking completely gone or, or what did it, or what the fuck did it? It was crazy. I mean, did you start crying or like, like what? I don't understand how, what that would look like. I guess the military just trained me so well that I uh, I tried to control the situation as much as I could. So um, after the shark had bitten off my hand and my hamstring, I popped to the surface and I'm like, shit, I got to get out of here before that, that comes back. So I start <laughs> to swim and I go to take a stroke, but my hand's gone and my arm ends at the end of the wetsuit. I'm like, fuck, okay, I've got to keep that wound above my heart to stem the bleeding. So I'm just thinking logically in this, my, you know, my greatest fear aside from public speaking was sharks. So I've just faced my worst nightmare and I don't know how I was doing it, but I was just thinking logically. I got to keep that wound above my heart to stem the bleeding and I got to swim back to the boat. I got to get out of the water. Um, and I had three of my buddies in the safety boat. Your they swimsuit were, is there, but your arm is yeah, my, my, pretty much gone. My wetsuit came all the way down to my wrist and my hand was gone from the wrist down. Wow. Um, now that I have the surgery photos and there was part of my hand left uh there was the tendons that are inside your hand one finger i think my thumb but the thumb was just shredded mm. um and that, i couldn't see it because it was dangling down my arm by skin so i was sort of hidden behind my forearm all i saw was just the end of my wetsuit with no hand in, in it. the cartoons they always punched a shark in the nose did you try that i i tried that yeah i, I didn't i tried to go for the eyeball but it, it had my hand in its mouth so i tried with the left hand but it had me by the back of the leg and i couldn't reach it so i tried to push it off by the nose but all that did was push the lower jaw deeper into my legs and so i cocked back to punch it in the head and as my fist was coming in it started to shake me and all the strength went out of me because that's when the pain came in. Yeah. And it was just so excruciating. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. You're in the water with this 600-pound monster made of muscle and you, you have no power. Yeah, it's, they're so fast and yeah. so strong. Mm -hmm. There's... And the, the video is on YouTube. You can actually watch it. Oh, my God. And it lasts about eight seconds. And you can, just, you can see that's it. That's a long-ass time. Around. Yeah. That's yeah. a bull ride right there. Yeah, it was not fun, i got to tell you. Holy um, shit. And, it, and towards the end there, I was underwater just thinking, I'm going to die. I'm not going home today. This is it. And the, the first things that came to mind was, well, it's, it's almost not even in word form. It's just thoughts. And I was just thinking, am, am I ready to die? And I thought, yeah. You know what? If, if I'm going to die now, then yeah, cool. I, I, I have no regrets. I've lived 10 lives, I've had so many adventures and more, more life than I could have ever thought possible. I'm, I'm ready to die if that's gonna happen. And a calm came over me and then the next second I popped to the surface because the shark wasn't attached to me anymore, my wetsuit made me buoyant and I popped to the surface, my head came out of the water and I realized I wasn't dead. The shark's tail splashed water in my face and I saw my safety boat and I just thought I gotta get the fuck out of here. 
So I started to swim and I, I swum through a pool of my own blood back to the boat. Wow. The guys got me out of the water. And that, that was the only time I passed out. When I was in the boat, I was safe. I wasn't going to be attacked anymore. And I just relaxed and my eyes rolled back in my head. And my buddy, Tomo, his training taught him that I was going into cardiac arrest. So his training told him he had to stimulate my heart. So he straddles me. He starts pounding me in the chest and it works. It wakes me back up and I'm just, I look over and my hand's gone, freshly eaten by a shark. And I look up and Tomo's beating the shit out of me. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, today sucks. <laughs> and so I look at him and I get all my priorities in order. And I say, Tomo, can you make sure someone looks after my motorbike? I'm dying and I'm worried about my motorbike. It's like <laughs> right. the things that happen to you in those moments are so weird. <laughs> right. um, How they, are those guys in, in in that moment? Dude, the training just came into play. Yeah. They all played their role. Tomo, Tomo was over the top of me, keeping me focused, trying to keep me awake. One of the other guys. When was, those guys are talking to you in that moment, you yeah, know, I've seen yeah. like some really minor things, people choking and different things like that. Um, someone having a, a heart issue and, and things of that nature. And when somebody talks you through it, hey, you're going to be okay. We're right here for you. Yep. It just really levels a lot of things out. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew as, as long as I could hear his voice and as long as I could see his face, yeah. I was still alive. So that's all I focused on. But you know, imagine pulling your buddy out of the water and the whole back of his leg is missing. Sure. You know, And saying those words is one thing, but I've got the surgery photos, and to yeah. see the open, gaping shark wound in the back of my leg would have been horrific. One, yeah. one of the guys never dove again. I mean, what would be worse to get bit by? Nothing, right? Yeah. I, mean. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe a, an orca. That's <laughs> just going to bite you in half. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a shit day at work, man. Um, nearly died a couple of times. Uh, one of the guys had to stick his hand inside my leg and pinch close the artery to mm. keep me alive, stop me wow. from bleeding out. But the paramedics got there within about 15 minutes. They pumped me full of drugs, took me to- Just right there on the, the hospital. Yeah, right. right up, now, we were, we were alongside the, the pier. Okay. So the guys in the boat got me up to the pier and tried to stabilize me as much as they could up there uh, while they were waiting for the paramedics. And then the paramedics came. They pumped me full of drugs because by that stage- the pain had really kicked in and like it was so agonizing. I was just begging them for drugs. And in the ambulance, I, I started to think I was going to die again because my blood um, levels were so low. Mm. Uh, I was white as a sheet and they pumped me full of morphine and I couldn't breathe. I physically couldn't make my, my chest go up and down. So I started to think I was going to die all over again from, from not being able to breathe. So they coached me through that and it basically turned into a bit of a, a pregnant lady Lamar's class in the ambulance. Because you're panicking. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just, yeah. No, well, you can't breathe. What do you do? Yeah. I feel, I'm like, I'm trying to whisper to them. I can't, I can't breathe. And so they, they coached me through it. They kept me calm. And thankfully, you know, they got me to um, emergency surgery straight away. And I went in and. The next couple of days were a bit of a blur. I woke up at one point and looked down and saw my foot was still there. And I was just thankful for that. You know, I knew my hand was gone. I'd seen that. I'd processed it. Nothing I can do about that. But if I can keep my leg, maybe I can keep this job that I love so much. And that was all I was concerned about. Just keeping this job that I had fought tooth and nail to get into because I didn't have anything else. And I was, the things that were running through my mind was, I I'm going to have a worthless life. I'm going to be in a wheelchair and mm. people are going to pity me and I'm going to have this horrible 
rest of my life. I'm still, I'm only 31, you know, 30. Um, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I was terrified. Mm. And that fear eventually turned into a, a very powerful motivator for me. When you were like in the hospital and stuff, I would imagine you go back and forth between uh, being angry about the situation and then also probably being grateful that you're still alive, right? That, that battle must have went on for a long time and, and, and the healing process for this must have taken a long time. Uh, but look, to be honest, I never really had a lot of anger about the situation. It wasn't like I would slay my bed fuming. Um, the only time I was, I was angry was when they couldn't control the pain mm. um, because I, I realized the situation that I was in. And I never blamed the shark because I chose a dangerous life. I don't think people know that about pain. It makes you pissed. It makes you grumpy. Yeah, it makes you, you know, really like some angry. Older people that, uh, you know, somebody in their 70s, it's just you got a, a grumpy, a grandpa or whatever. <laughs> Sometimes people are just mad because they're, they're in a lot of pain, yeah. you know. Um, and it's hard to deal with that, especially over long periods of time. Um, but it, it wasn't a lot of to and fro because... Like I said, I'm a very logical person. Um, and I just thought, you know, I had my leg taken off and that was a very easy decision because the doctor broke it down for me and he said, look, we can take it off and you, we can have you running and walking on prosthetics within you know, a, a six to 12 months or we can keep the leg. You'll never be able to move it. You'll never be able to feel it. You'll carry it around like a lump of wood and your life will suck. Mm. So when you... Give a logical person a, a logical choice like that, it, it's very easy to make the right decision. So I had the leg taken off and I, for the next 20 hours, I, went, I was in agonizing pain. Uh, but eventually, to the, to the point where I asked my mum to find me a gun so I could kill myself. Wow. Like that, that bad. I just wanted it to end. I wished that the shark had killed me. And that was the hardest point. But I think... All of the trials and tribulations that I'd been through in life previous to that, um, you know, the, the, the depression of, and slashing my arms up to the kickboxing training and learning to be strong, to being strong enough to leave my hometown and start again and then being at the bottom of the barrel, everything, going through everything in the army. It was almost like training and preparation for this. Mm. And so I knew I was still alive. That was the main thing. I'm still alive. I'm not exactly grateful for it, but I, this is the situation. So what do I do about that? I'm going to be alive for quite some time. So I need to make the most of this situation because I can't go back to what I had before. I can't go back to being poor and having an unfulfilling life and doing nothing. I lived that life when I was stoned out of my brain for weeks on end. So I don't want that shit. So what am I going to do? I'm going to use the tools and the lessons that the military has given me and I'm going to Look at the great things I still have in my life, like my friends, my family, that amazing support network, the fact that the military is going to pay for my prosthetics and all that sort of stuff. A fully functioning arm, a fully functioning leg yeah, on the other side. Semi-functioning. <laughs> it, it's, it's never going to replicate a right. real hand, real leg, but it does right, the job. But I mean on the other side. Yeah. Well, I, I, got, <laughs> you know, I got half of good stuff. So right. I just I decided that I'm going to turn a very complicated situation into a very simple choice. And that, that choice was, what do I want? Do I want a good life or do I want, I want a shit life? And it's that simple mm. sometimes. We, we overcomplicate yeah. that, that too much. Do you get frustrated now sometimes? Like how long ago was that? Uh, 2009. So yeah, 
Do you still have days where you just get frustrated? Like, not necessarily, like, down, like, oh, man, you know, this happened or whatever, but, like, just frustrated. Like, you, like I, like we went to the gym, like, two days ago, and we saw you had the trap bar, and you're like, oh, I'm doing some farmer's carries. <laughs> and me and my brother are like, that crazy bastard, man. He's <laughs> fucking getting after it. But, like, I mean, there's, you know, it's probably situations here and there where you're just like, you know, this, it's bumming you out, I guess yeah. I'd say, you know. There, there's moments. Right. There's not days, there's not weeks. So, uh, a very good friend of mine gave me um, a very important lesson. He just said, never feel bad about feeling bad. It's natural, it's okay. Just right. don't let it ruin your whole day, like your whole that. week or your whole life. So work out why you're feeling bad and try and deal with it, try and solve it. You know, be proactive about your problems. And so when you guys saw me, um, it was I was frustrated because... I know that I we actually carry. sensed it because uh, my brother's you know talked to you many times before yeah and he's like that was a little weird he's always so fired up he's always so nice I was like well maybe he's just in the middle of his workout maybe he's focused I, I <laughs> did just have Fourth of July as well so um, <laughs> probably way too much beer yeah yeah motivation was not at peak level well that's a big thing too being frustrated with yourself yeah. can be really not frustrated with uh, what can with be what happened but frustrating like you you knew you knew that you were going to train the next day and you knew you probably should have backed off and maybe not had as many beers or whatever mm -hmm. it was right yeah that's yep. annoying yeah like that'll that'll make anybody frustrated but also for the fact that i know that my body is capable of more but there's certain things about the weightlifting arm or this leg which limit me so i what i was doing two 45s and a 25 on on the bar and i could carry more but the weight pulling on my elbow was hurting my elbow so much <laughs> yeah. that I just couldn't do anymore. So that frustrates me. But I just, I'm a firm believer that if there is a problem, there is a solution. Uh, sometimes it, you know, with the right tools and sometimes that right tool is just the right mindset. Okay, so I'll find another way to do it. I'll find another way to work that muscle. I'll find another way to train and get stronger or I'll, I'll adjust the prosthetic somehow. Mm. Now, you never accept the fact that this is it. This is how it is. And I've just got to put up with it. Maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Exactly right. Yeah. With what happened to you, do you view it as like an event, a tragedy? Like, like how do you label it in your head? Um, you know, you getting the crap kicked out of you by 20 people versus the shark. Yeah. I love it when I get questions that I've never been asked before, like smart questions like that, <laughs> because that's a, that's a big thing, how you view the situations in your life. And it's exactly like that. It's just an event. It was, and people laugh at me because. Well, let's, you know, you break it down, right? You obviously didn't invite that situation, but you did kind of sign up for it. They exactly. did tell you that there's sharks uh -huh. in the water. Yeah. And other people chose a different route. 70% mm -hmm. of the people said, you know what, man? Like this training is really hard. There's sharks in the water. I heard what you said. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Dude, I, I chose a dangerous life. Right. Because that was fulfilling for me. I felt I felt like I was a badass, but I also felt a sense of pride in my uniform, in the fact that I was serving my country, I was a representative of my country, and I was physically doing things that a lot of people can't do. So jumping out of planes, shooting guns and rocket launchers, traveling the world, being a peacekeeper, diving, playing with bombs underwater, in, in, in water that you can't even see the hand in front of your face, and putting together bombs and mines and all. Wow. I chose that life. So you can't get upset when something goes wrong. You know, it's, so why would you do that? Don't be a dick. Like you chose that situation. Things can go wrong. 
And, and you, so if it does, you just deal with it. And so for me, it, it's an event. It's something that happened. I don't anchor my whole life off that day, even though a whole new career and a whole new lifestyle has come out of that turning point in life. Does it ever get to be too much? People asking you every day, like oh, yeah. little kids and stuff, man, oh. what happened in your hand? Or like, uh-huh. yeah. I like never sometimes, get upset with like, kids, I mean, sometimes probably just like, you know, like uh, my brother and I, we, we had our oldest brother pass away years ago. And, it, you know, it, people still, because they see bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes people don't know. And so they'll come and, and sometimes it'll come at you sideways. You're not paying, you're not thinking about it. You're not paying attention to it at all. And uh, someone will say, oh, how's Chris doing? I'll say, oh, Chris is doing great. Lives in LA and he's having a good time. He's getting in better shape. He's made some big changes. Uh, and they'll say, oh, how's Mike? And it's like, oh, like yeah. that just, you know, hit me, you know, hit me out of nowhere. With your thing, it's very visual. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm sure you get questions all the time. Does that all ever get time. to be, beat you up a little bit? It does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm totally honest. Yeah. It, it, kind of the weird jokes too. Sometimes. Yeah. Really insensitive people just I think sometimes questions. maybe it gives you better perspective on <clears throat> on uh on like uh people joking around about like race and people joking around about things they can see yeah like oh they make a black joke because the guy's black or they make an asian joke because the guy's mm-hmm. asian does that make you a little more sensitive to some of those things where you're kind of like i kind of think I, I always was yeah like i'm not a super insensitive person i think i am anyway you know i would never do that about someone my mum always said when i was a kid there for the grace of god go i right. so there's you you could be in their shoes right. all it would have taken is a tiny little change of circumstances and you could be that person going through what they're going through so yeah, why you would got you ever the, judge you got the friend else? that's heavy or you got the friend that's short exactly, yeah. and it's like oh you're short and every other joke's a short thing and every other joke's a fat joke and yeah. it's like just give it a goddamn rest yeah. for a second uh-huh. <laughs> you know? exactly right um so yeah I, I understand at the same time that if I saw a half robot dude walking down the street, <laughs> I would be curious as well. And I'd probably have a look and I'd probably be a little sensitive. I'd try and not look too long. Um, wearing sunglasses, it's almost like people think I'm blind. Like they can't see where your eyes are looking. So they just feel readily, you're readily available to them to be stared at. And they're just like, oh, shit. Have you told anybody about the penis? The penis? The, the mechanical penis that you yeah. have. Dude. <laughs> Luckily, it was a cold morning and I'm a lefty oh, okay. and yeah, <laughs> I had some shrinkage going on. Otherwise, I would have been a triple amputee. So, yeah. you know, small blessings. Um, but, you know, I, I never get upset with the kids because they're usually quite funny. It's grown adults that just open mouth stare at you, which I'm just like, are you for real? Right. Like, you know, I've had council workers like this old Asian woman in, back in Sydney yelling at me from across the street. Just going, hey, come here. Like, no. They what just... happened to your leg? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. And it's like you walk away from that so angry. But you just got to breathe, let it go, and realize sometimes people are just fucked. <laughs> you know, that you can't do anything about it. Some people are just, they have no idea. Don't let it get to you. Go and do something that makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, you can't let it uh, weigh you down too much, yeah, right? Like, Obviously, they've got their own issues. Right. And I have, you know, I, I trained myself into being, generally speaking, very, very happy, very positive, um, very motivated. And it, it just came through practice. Um, Do so, you remember a moment where um, you started to make some progress with the recovery from all this? 
and you started to be able to maybe run or swim or, you know, do something at the gym and you're like, oh, like this, this is kind of cool. Or did you communicate with other people that were amputees or something like that, that got your spirits lifted? Um, yeah, yeah. There was a, there was actually, there was some of that. There was times where the effect was opposite to what people um, wanted. So when I was in hospital, uh, there was some that lifted me up, some brought me down. There was a, this guy who was a, um, a double leg amputee, <clears throat> a single leg amputee, and he was a doctor and he came into my hospital bed and he thought that meeting another amputee might help me. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm drugged to the eyeballs on ketamine and morphine. I'm tripping out a little bit. And I'm just going through this terrifying process. And he comes in and he's just like full of beans. He's like bouncing around the room and he just like takes his leg off in front of me and shows me his horrible scars. And I'm, I'm like, this is the fucking worst thing he possibly could have done. And it just crushed me. And I'm like, oh, great. I gotta like it's a little, er- little early on. Where, yeah, a little early. Too early. A little early for and this. And then things like, you know, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm finally training. I'm back in the gym. Um, I did it all myself. I had no rehab hospital, nothing like that. I just, it was just me and my buddy. He would drive me to the gym and I'd get in there and I'd try and learn to use my body again. And I'd start to get stronger and I'd start to get fitter. And then all of a sudden I've got bone spurs growing out the end of my leg, digging into my flesh Crazy. to the point where I can't walk and the pain is killing me and I've got to go back in for another round of surgery to have that removed. Then I've got to wait for that to heal up again before I can walk again. And that happened three times. And then I had um, a bursa removal in the end of my arm. So it's like every time I get to a certain point and then I've got to go in for surgery and I come back down and I can't train. Mm. I can't work out my arm. I can't work out my leg. And it's, it's really demotivating. But what I realized was, yeah, that sucks. I can't walk. Get your fucking crutches go back into the gym because you've still got an upper body to train. Just because you don't have two legs to do squats doesn't mean you skip leg day. You just get really good at pistol squats. I got a really bad tendency to focus on stuff that I don't have. Yeah. You know, like just for example, like I'll be in the gym, like at my own gym, I make a lot of my own products and stuff. Uh And so like I'll like search around for a specific pair of elbow sleeves that I feel like using for the day. But it's just, I I don't need them. Yeah. You know, but I, I have a tendency to focus in on uh, things that I don't really need, things that I don't really actually even want a lot of times. And I, I've noticed that about, I recognize that about myself. So a lot of times I'll just say, you know what, focus on the shit that you can do. Focus on yeah. the things that you do have. Yeah, exactly right. Be happy with those things and just get the shit done. Yeah. Because you can spend 10, 15 minutes trying to figure out how to shortcut something, or you can be 10 or 15 minutes ahead, <laughs> right? Well, by, okay. just, by just doing it. Yeah, exactly. Just move along. Get, yeah. get, it's, get it's, your ass going. That's one of the things that a lot of people can't do that you seem to be good at is the fact that you realize what your mind is doing to you. So you almost trick it back into working the way you want. Yeah. And a lot of people just don't get that. They feel like, this is what my brain is making me feel like. And that's just how it is. <laughs> Whereas you are the fucking boss of your body and the boss of your brain. It will do what you want it to if you are firm with it. And that's what the military taught me. And then going through all of this, dealing with pain and dealing with having to rehab and start from scratch again, that, that was a really powerful lesson to find out that, no, no, I don't have to feel like shit. I don't have to be angry with that person. I don't have to be upset that I can't do something. I will just find another way to do it. I will not worry about that person. I will not work out my leg today because it's hurting me, even though I want to train legs so bad. I'll go and do something else. I'll go, I'll go for a swim. 
I'll go and get in the ocean because I know that makes me feel amazing. And it's finding out all these little tricks to to you know remind yourself that you are actually in control. You know, and going into the ocean is one of those big ones for me. It, it sort of has this yeah. way to wash away stresses and you still angers. like to do that a lot. Oh yeah, I was back in the water three months to the day after the shark attack. As soon as my staples and stitches wow. came out of my leg, I was like eight foot mal under my arm down at Bondi <laughs> with my two buddies hopping down the soft sand. Everyone was staring at me. They're like he hasn't you know, learned his lesson. <laughs> no, he's really dumb. Um, sometimes I think that that stupidity is actually a benefit. Yeah, you know, too too dumb to quit. Uh, so yeah, I, I know what works. Some people uh, that may not have direction. It seemed like. Uh, you started to figure out direction through not living the life that you wanted yep. and then talking to your mom and then the military gave you, obviously gave you a lot of direction. The event that happened with the shark gave you a lot of direction. How can other people find their direction? You know, how can they, how can they kind of figure out, fuck, how do I get on the right path? Like, is there something that you learned along the way uh, that maybe some people are missing out on that they're not paying attention to that they should be practicing or doing. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are afraid to make the big scary decisions, the things that will change their life um, forever. Um, I learned to do that no matter what, from from leaving home to joining the army to changing to the navy to um, to. You know, a couple of years ago, leaving the security umbrella of the military, which was my guaranteed paycheck. Mm. Some people are afra too afraid to make that really big life-changing decision. I've learned that those are usually the best decisions you can make. Uh, as long as you are dedicated to pouring your heart and your soul into that decision. Uh, because if you're not happy or if you're not where you want to be in life, are you just going to be comfortable in your misery? Or are you going to get uncomfortable, make a big scary decision, maybe take a pay cut, maybe move to a new place, take a, a career change, something like that, because your ha your happiness is worth it. You know, what is the point of – and I meet people when I travel and speak all the time. They come up to me after my presentation and they break down because they're just yeah. living – they're so unhappy and they're so broken – and they hear this story and it, it touches them, I guess. But there were there were more unhappy, broken, unmotivated people out there in the world than I thought possible. Well, you're not going to change the, you know, here in Malibu and we're, we're on the beach and you're not going to change these waves that are coming in. <laughs> you know, I was I was laying out there a couple nights ago and I was looking up at the stars and it's like, it doesn't matter how much money I make or how much money I don't make or how much money I lose or uh, how much strength I gain or like the, none of these things matter. It's not going to change the position of where those stars are, yeah. right? There's things that are just, they're just a certain way. They just are the way they are. So you may as well try to make yourself as happy as possible. And in my opinion, one way to be happy, and it doesn't have to always be this way. You don't have to be a maniac with it. But I think that the only way to have happiness is a lot of time to have progress. Yeah. Growth. You know, it doesn't always, you, you can do mindless stuff and you can just hang out and you can just play a video game and yeah. it doesn't have to be a lot of progress with any of that because we need to, we need to relax, right? We need to kind of calm down every once in a while. But other than those couple of things that you do here and there, there, there always has to be steps forward, right? Yeah. There's always got to be some progress going yeah. on. Otherwise you're going to be stuck 
and you're not going to be very happy with what you're doing. Damn straight. And if you, if you are happy, if you can sit down and look at yourself and go, I am truly happy um, just doing what I'm doing, something simple. You know, not everyone has to go and risk their life joining <laughs> the freaking military to, to find reward and growth. If you are truly happy in, in maybe the simplest thing, you know, as a housewife, as raising a family, you know, doing, you feel happiness and fulfillment in that, then amazing. Good for you. That's freaking incredible. But if you're not, then make some changes. It's it's not that hard to make that big scary decision and then jump in head first. Uh, I ended up going back to the Navy for three years working as an instructor. But I was working sometimes 70, 80 hour weeks trying to train the students under me, trying to keep up with my buddies, mm. trying to keep my fitness level at the same time while instructing these guys. And it was killing me. I bet. But I didn't have anything else. You know, I wasn't trained to do anything else. So when I decided to leave the military, that was terrifying. So I just knew that it was worth it. I think one of the strongest pulls is, uh, you know, it always goes back to your own identity and our identity is like, uh, not necessarily who you think or you feel that you are, but it's, uh, your perception of the way other people think of you. Sometimes. And it's a weird kind of jacked up thing to really sit there and think about what the hell that means, but you're the military guy. You're the guy that got half eaten by a shark and that's you're you keep getting you keep getting pulled back to that. Mm-hmm. And for you to distance yourself from the military and move into other aspects of your life was a very difficult thing to figure out. Yeah. How did some of that come to be? How did I mean you're on the Discovery Channel, you're on Shark Week, which is one of the greatest television programs in the history of TV. That I was think I love just, watching that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um it, it started slowly. It, it started by doing something else that I was absolutely afraid of, public speaking. Mm. And I was asked to give presentations for companies a few times when I was in the Navy, and I was I'm terrified. I just, no, thank you very much. I'm yeah. not comfortable with that. And then That's insane, too, because here's a guy jumping out of planes. Yeah, I don't want to talk wrestled. in front of you. I just want to shoot people and yeah. bad people and you know, <laughs> shoot the bad people, not just people. Um, you know, I'm happy with all of that, that my yeah. role in the world, but- don't ask me to speak in front of you. <laughs> yeah. um, but then a cancer camp for kids asked me to speak. Mm. Now, how do you say no to kids with cancer? Like, right. You can't do that. You know, my job is about service. This is just another way for me to serve. So I went along and did it and I just felt this incredible sense of reward for making these sick kids laugh, to make them forget that they grew up in a hospital. I walked out of there just feeling on top of the world. No, oh, that's awesome. And so I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. And it started really slowly and the Navy wouldn't give me leave to do it. So I was using all of my annual leave to go and do this. And it got to a point where I didn't have any leave left. And I would, the speaking engagements had started coming in and I was getting paid for them. And all of a sudden I was making my two weeks Navy wage speaking for one hour. Hmm. And I thought, okay, what do I do here? Do I stay with my Math security blanket? Like, yeah, but, but if I go and do the speaking, how long is this going to last? How long will I be the flavor of the month? Right. So that was, you know, a bit of a conundrum there. But I remembered, you know, what I was telling you about earlier. Sometimes making those big, scary decisions is the best way to grow and progress. It had always worked out in the past. So let's just jump in head first. So I left the military and a couple of years later, I was making more money than I could have thought. I was doing so much speaking. I had so much time off. 
life was just really great. But after a few years of that, I didn't feel like there was much more growth. Mm. And a, a few jobs that I'd been to and people were like, oh, this is the third time I've seen you speak. And I'm just thinking, I don't, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be that guy living off old glories for the next 10 years. Right. So that was when Discovery Channel came knocking. And they offered me uh, – it started small. I'd done a lot of TV interviews and stuff, so I was comfortable in front of the camera. And then they just asked for an interview. And that turned into a live talk show. And the next year oh, that turned cool. into a co-hosting job. And they just seemed to like me and they liked my story and the way that I you know, energetically jumped headfirst literally into the water with sharks right. because I realized there was just nothing left to be afraid of. <laughs> so that turned into a whole new career to the point where – I decided to leave Australia and I wasn't, I didn't have a working visa at that point, but I could have a, um, a three month visa. And so I came out to America on and off for the next two years. Hmm. I had no home. I had a car in each city and I was Airbnb for nearly two years. And it was a really hard period doing that 14 hour flight backwards <laughs> yeah. and forwards t- 20 times in two yeah. years. But that was the sacrifice I had to make for growth. And I could have stayed at home and kept making a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year, basically standing on stage telling a story, but there was no growth in that. So I took the pay cut. I used the money that I'd saved off doing all of that to try and grow again. And eventually it paid off and a contract came through with Discovery Channel for a two-year visa, three Shark Week shows a year, development money for my own series. And it's all now two years down the track starting to turn into this lifestyle that I could never have believed would have been this good. That's awesome. Did, did, uh, is it a pain in the ass, you know, with, uh, you know, getting the visa and all, all that kind of stuff, or is it not that? Uh, luckily discovery channel took care of that. Oh, okay. There was a bit of a to and fro because I was mm. being offered a, my own show by yeah. national geographic as well. So right. discovery channel really didn't want, you know, the talent that they'd grown to be given to a competitor. So my managers did a really good job of, you know, getting the best deal for me. So they took care of everything, which was great. So now I think on this visa, um, I can stay here as long as I want, as long as I renew it every year and I'm working in the field that I said I was. So I love it out here. I love the American hospitality. I love the country. Uh, I love the opportunity and the growth and the way that people lift you up here. Um, And I love the gratitude for the work that I do here. I've started working in the county jails. I've started working in the juvenile detention centers. I've started working for big corporations, doing motivational speaking for them. And I get to do Shark Week. And it's just, it's that sense of growth that I didn't have in Australia and a sense of a a new environment, new people. And I just love it. And I'll stay here as long as I'm welcome. When you go into some of these prisons, that's got to be a lot different than... The motivational talks, right? Yeah. It's it's much harder to win these people over. Um, so I never try and compare my situation to them because, you know what, everyone has a story. You have a story, Chris has a story, I have a story. My story is no bigger or better than anyone else's. It's just a little bit different. So I try and tell it with that in mind. It's just, This is just a different story and I try and weave some of the lessons that I've learned over time through the story instead of going in there and going, you need to do this and this is how you should live and here's the the five factors of growth that I've learned. Yeah, It's a story and everyone likes a story. So I just tell that and weave the lessons through it and eventually at some point, people are going to get it. Well, they're going to identify with you, right? There's going to be 
the one guy that was uh, you know abused by his parents all the time. That no, 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 no. My my parents never. No, I'm abused saying you. <laughs> I'm saying it doesn't relate to you, right? Yes, yes, yes. And yes. then there's going to be the guy who you know went to Catholic school and he's starting to play through some of the things, and he's like. Oh, check. You know, that's me. That's me. I'm uh-huh. kind of like that. You know, you always kind of were fighting against the grain, it sounds like, right? Yeah, a little bit. And uh, I, I find that really interesting because that's what people are fascinated with is just go up there and just give them your experience. Just mm-hmm. tell them about your experience. But if you go up there and really preach and be like, who's this guy? People just switch this, off. This guy's never been yeah. in my shoes. He doesn't know yeah. what happened to me. And that took a long time to learn how to do as well. It was, you know, I, I was terrified of public speaking. So a lot of the times when people were giving me advice, I would just shut my mouth and listen. I still do that on, <laughs> on the Shark Week shoots from uh, a lot of the the people that have been in the industry for a very long time because they know what they're talking about and the one thing that they might say might save my life when I go 110 feet down and swim with great white sharks without a cage. <laughs> so I just shut my mouth and I listen to people giving me advice. And some of it's bad advice, some of it's good advice, but you get to choose what you take on board. And one of the the most powerful things was when I was told by a very famous Australian woman that I'm just too damn military. <laughs> and she's like, this happened and this happened and this happened. You just, you give it a military story. You need to give more vulnerability. You need to give more of yourself. And I went away from that just thinking, what? the hell does she expect like be vulnerable yeah i'm a soldier i'm a clearance diver i've been trained not to be vulnerable what does she want me to break down and cry i'm like i don't know how to do any of that shit but then (laughs) i thought about it and i got on stage and i just tried to give more of myself like the really i tried not to just be the tough military guy this is what happened this is what happened all the things you were talking your brain out of going into you just tapped into some of that exactly right right. because there there was those feelings but you suppressed them Uh because you're a savage yeah the the (laughs) sense of vulnerability of wanting to die right and telling that story of being in so much pain all i wanted to do was die and people started to cry yeah and that was an amazing feeling, not to make them cry, but to be able to take them on this emotional roller coaster with me. And then people started to pass out. <laughs> so I started showing the surgery photos and talking through all of that scenario. And now I've had 54 people pass out. Wow. 52 men. They're just like. Only two women, yeah. Wow. Um, so it, it's become this really fun thing for me to do. I, I get to share the absolute lowest points, the absolute highs, and everything in between, and all the little tools and, and lessons I've learned along the way. And it works. I know it works because social media is an incredible tool of communication, and people write to me and tell me, and they go home and they tell their kids, and their kids look me up and follow me. And it's just such an incredible feeling to be able to reach people and and help their lives that I might never get to meet. Right. It's an incredible feeling. When you're doing uh, you know, motivational talks and you're on TV, you know, people have a different perception of you. You know, there's there's looking at you and like, oh man, that guy's life like is privileged or however they want to however they want to view it. Maybe there's a view that you're super determined, you got there, but they don't relate it to them. Mm. You know, and when you show uh, all the things that you went through to get there. Everybody's been, like you said, everyone's got a story. Mm-hmm. Everybody's been through something. Yep. Maybe it's not as crazy as some of the things you've been through, but everybody uh, has been through something. So they can at least relate to that on the surface. Yeah, and exactly. they kind of I- identify uh, with that a lot better. When it comes to your prosthetics, um, so so this happened uh, almost, almost 10 years ago, yeah. right? Yep. How has uh, the technology advanced? 
Um, or, or you kind of have the same setup you've had for a long time. At the top of the line, which is what I have, I'm very, very fortunate. The military looks after my prosthetics and they give me the best. Um, I've had three legs, three leg upgrades. Um, the original was the C leg. The second one was the um, X2. This is the X3. So it's gone from not being waterproof and just a, a very good walking leg to this is fully waterproof. It has a running mode. Mm. Um, the, the balance is better. What's the way a that it functions running better. mode? So does it assist you're running a little bit? It's, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it has um, a lockout mode, a free swing mode, so I can ride a push bike. But I can just get up and I can run on this leg. The only problem is this foot isn't a running foot. Oh. So I kind of look like an old grandpa chasing his kids around you'd have to change footed yeah you got to change the foot um but the arm has also changed i've only had this is only one upgrade the old hand i had it was just very flimsy uh Mm. it looked very robotic and i used to break it every week and so i upgraded to this one which is called the michelangelo so people that can't see what's going on right here his his hand is in like this black glove that goes all the way up to his elbow and uh, how are you able to actually move the hand? Because you don't like where where are you missing your hand from? From below the wrist? Yeah, uh, just just above the wrist. So is it the same way you would normally move your hand? It's not. It's uh, so how I do it is um, inside the hand is a lot of the electronics. My arm comes down to just there, just above my wrist, and the socket holds the batteries what they call the brain, which is like the CPU. It also has the on and off switch there, which doubles as a magnetic charging port. So I have to plug that into the wall every three days or so. And then there's a sensor on the bottom. There's a little hole just there on the the bottom of my forearm. And then a, a sensor on the top. So what I do is instead of opening and closing the hand, that sort of motion, it's almost like making a fist and drawing the bottom of your fist towards your elbow. Mm. And, and flexing that bottom forearm muscle yeah. and that will close the hand if i want to flex it open i flex back and the sensor on the top of my forearm picks up that muscle activating and the hand will open so i just basically doing that backwards and forwards with my wrist if i want to change the grip i give it a little flick like that so this is neutral grip at the moment i give it a little flick you can hear it beeps and then it goes to beer drinking grip <laughs> yes, this is like i call it man grip yeah. Or beer drinking, beer drinking grip. So this is how I shake a man's hand because it's very yeah. firm. You know, men have bigger hands, so it's got a wider grip and it sort of clenches down. And then there's the girl grip or neutral grip, and that's I don't like to hurt the girls, so I give them a little, little bit softer. Mm-hmm. But it, it's you know, it's a ninety thousand dollar holding device. Right. I'm never going to play the piano with it. Um, I can't lift weights with it because it just the fingers will snap. But I, I, it's amazing. Can the you pick up like, Can you pick up like 30, 40 pounds with it? Like yeah, yeah, it's not enough. A, I can carry right. a bag and I can hold a beer and I can shake hands and it looks much better than having nothing <laughs> hanging out of your sleeve yeah. to have this. You know, it's a, it looks cool. It looks like a, a hand in a badass black glove. So when we went to shake hands at the gym, you had your, you had your lifting uh, yeah. hook on. What, yeah. what, do, what is that? What's uh, involved with that thing? So I've got... Um, Two weightlifting arms, which are much more durable than this one. Uh, one is for pushing, so it ends um, below the elbow, so I can push to full extension, and that's for, you know for bench press and all that sort of stuff. And there's an attachment on the end, so you can do almost every exercise in the gym. Uh, yeah, basically, except for um, I, I'm, I can't do heavy deadlifts, and I'm not very good on the free bar at squats because I can't 
rely on my right robot leg to stop me from stop it from bending. So if I lean on it, it'll just keep collapsing. Mm. So I find I use the Smith machine. I just right, don't right. do heavy deadlifts, uh, but basically everything else with the right tool. I've got another weightlifting arm that goes above my elbow a bit like this one, and that holds all the weight. You know, I can do chin ups with forty five pound mm. weights, and the arm won't come off. So it's it's just the right tool for the right. Do you job. have to bring all that stuff with you to the gym every day? Every switching day, out man. your arms, and, and your then hands. when I'm traveling for Shark Week, I've got this leg I've got to carry, the robot arm, the two weightlifting arms. I've got my diving leg. I've got running blades. Are they it's checking just, that at the so uh, heavy man in the yeah. airport? Yeah, and so my <laughs> luggage isn't over. I carry a lot of the stuff yeah. in my my carry on. So I go through the X ray machine. And I get pulled up every time they start pulling all these crazy limbs out of my backpack. Everyone's standing around staring. So, like, bro, that's my leg. Yeah, <laughs> there's like sometimes it's a like a realistic looking rubber foot that I use for diving, and they just pull that out and put it on the bench, and then they run that through the X-ray machine. Just and throw a giant dildo in there too, yeah, and they'll just keep. They'll keep. Yeah. They'll be like, this Whoa. is my dildo arm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I get I get a tack on a you know, an extra twenty minutes when I'm going to the airport. The uh, w as far as the leg goes, where is your leg? Uh, where does the bottom of your leg end? My my leg goes down to just above the knee. Oh, okay. But the my hamstring isn't my hamstring. What they had to do, because if they removed above the wound, which normally they would, like in an amputation, they would have had to take my leg off uh, just uh, below the hip, yeah. which makes you a hip disarticulate amputee, makes life really hard because you don't have a limb to put a prosthetic yeah. socket on. So they worked out a way to salvage the limb. They, they cut off my foot. They sliced open the back of my calf muscle all the way up to where the shark bite started in my hamstring, peeled all of that muscle off the bone, took out my shin bones, cut out my knee joint, cut the end of my femur off, and then folded all of that calf muscle into the back of my leg where the shark bite was and stitched it up. So Whoa. now my calf muscle is where my hamstring used to be. And it's non-functioning. It doesn't do anything. It's just sort of there to fill the gap. Holy shit. Yeah. It, it makes life kind of hard, you know, probably That's a little crazy. harder than a normal above knee leg amputee because right. it just, it moves a lot. It's not really attached to the bone. Um, it atrophied a lot because I can't, you know, the muscles are non-functioning. Mm. So yeah, it, it's, it's hard, but that's just life. I got to yeah. deal with it. Like I, I get up in the morning and I put my leg on, that's I go to bed, I take it off. How do you train that leg? So I, it doesn't. I can't really. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's not much I can do. The part of the quad you can is move, missing you can as move well. the hip a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I I do leg raises. I can lock out the knee on this prosthetic leg, so I do a lot of leg raises. I do crunches. I do. And how are you able to do that? How are you able to swing that leg? Well, out? I, I if I stand up and I kick back, I can make I can lock it out by going one, two, three, four, and then it beeps, and then it goes into free swing mode, so I can ride a bike. Ah. If I do it three times then it'll go into lock mode and the knee will lock out so I can just like do leg raises like that. <laughs> right. You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you just find a way, man. Like there's always a way and with the right tool. And like I said, sometimes that tool's just the right mindset. I must take a long time to start to figure some of that out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of time in the gym in the early days yeah. just going in there and I didn't even have a leg or a weightlifting uh, arm at that point. Mm. So it was just a matter of getting in there and learning how to use my body again. Right. Having a butt still helps. You know, how you got you got your butt muscle yeah, that can yeah. kind of help uh -huh. you uh, still but, get around. But even that atrophies good. because I'm not pushing through it, doing a lot of squats and stuff. So I've got, to, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time on the leg kickback machines, working my glutes, you know, doing the the booty, doing all the, all the lady, all the lady <laughs> exactly. exercises. 
Everyone walks past me on the kickback machine going, hey, working that butt pole on me. Yeah, you got to work the butt. So there's a lot of advancements in technology. People are, you know, I see people, uh, they're growing like ears and they're growing all yeah. these different kinds of things right uh, now. They're getting better at um, hand yeah. uh, transplants and things Hands like and that. feet are kind of yeah. complicated. Do you, do you think or care or, you know, do, I mean, obviously oh. you care, but do you, do you think uh, anything like that may be in your future? I hope the technology and the surgery gets to the point where you can do that, whether it's prosthetics that can be embedded into the body like a cyborg instead of having this socket on all the time mm. or uh, getting a hand transplant or a leg transplant. I hope the technology gets to the yeah. point where it, it actually works and it's non-dangerous, but at this point in time, it's just not there. Um, you, the anti-rejection drugs you have to take are terrible on your uh, body. Um, just the recovery time and the fact that it's not guaranteed the nerves are going to grow. So at this point, I'm not going to be a guinea pig. I'll, I'll let other people do that. <laughs> yeah, let people, other people try yeah, it out. What's coming up for you uh, now? Like, What do you got going on in the next couple of weeks? Shark Week, bro. Yeah. Shark Week starts July 22nd. Uh, three new huge shows. Um, really can't wait for them to come out. We... Um, I did two back-to-back -back just in the last couple of months. Um, the first one was, it's called Shark Wrecked, and they took me and a British Special Forces guy off the coast of the Bahamas, um, two and a half thousand feet deep water. They blew up our boat, and then they, they chummed the waters. So it's oh kind of God. simulating, we're, we're in wetsuits and fins, and we have masks and snorkels, sort of simulating two guys coming back to their boat after spearfishing. They've got all their bait and fish on the boat, and then it blows up. Yeah. What do you do? How do you survive surrounded by sharks? So we spent <laughs> two days and two nights in the water, uh, in the ocean, drifting through the Atlantic. No water, no food, um, surrounded by sharks. They intermittently chum the waters to put the sharks into a predatory mode. Um, my buddy had a short pole. I had nothing. Um, but at nighttime, we did have a netted pen we could get into when it was just too dangerous, too dark. We couldn't see anything. Uh, and it was really lucky we did too. They'll see in the show, the sharks got super aggressive at night. They actually woke me up at one point when in my, not even sleep, but stupor by ramming the cage. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So that was one. to wake up. Sorry? A hell of a way to wake you up, right? Dude, like, so I didn't even, I, I was just sort of feeling this bumping at <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black. I can't see anything except like two feet away from me. And I wake up and the cage is still knocking. And then this fin comes up right next to my head because I had my head on the, the, the edge of the, the pen. You're like, not again. Just to rest my head on something so I could try and sleep. This freaking fin comes up right next to my face. So I didn't really sleep much after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, And then we, we, Took Ronda Rousey down to Fiji and cool. put her through some crazy shark experiences, and she's never even dived in her life. So sounds like you're ready for some action movies with all Hell these yeah. uh, guns and rockets Hell and yeah. stuff that you've been jumping out of planes. Trying to and convince them to give me flamethrower arms or something. Wolverine claws or just make <laughs> me a Bond villain. I don't just put me in, coach. Yeah, very cool. Uh, where can people find it? And uh, you know, you mentioned you had a book earlier. Maybe. Tell people where they can find the book. Stuff um, like that. So it was really hard to get out here in America, actually. So I started a, um, a Shopify store. It's, it's called... written in Australian. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's some slang words you might not understand, <laughs> but just get onto the um, the Australian dictionary, Australian slang dictionary, and that'll sort you out. But um, so I, I got a, a stack shipped over. I started a Shopify store um, where I'm starting to sell a lot of shark type stuff. Um, People just seem to be so into Shark Week, like 20 million viewers. Um, so I, I want to 
help people get their shark stuff. And the book's on there. It's called the Shark Shacks, sharkshack.store. Um, you can pick up the book. I can personalize it because I'm in control of the, oh, cool. the stock. So you can get it there and just, you know, come on, come along for a ride on the Instagram. You know, I usually try and put a bunch of stuff on there, like put clips from Shark Week and all the crazy stuff that I'm doing in my own life, some of the training and nutrition yeah. stuff that I'm doing. So, yeah, come along for the ride. Very cool. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later.